Well, happy 4th of July, Thrive Church family. I hope you're having a great day. Whether you're watching this service on the 4th of July or some other time this week, I hope you've had an amazing long weekend, great time to rest, time with family and friends, and time to celebrate. Uh, we're going to dive into the Word in just a minute here, but I do want to remind you that today is Communion Sunday. We'll be receiving communion at the end of the message today, so I encourage you to get those elements ready, and we'll break bread uh, together, and we'll remember the death and resurrection of our Lord. Well, I want to turn to the Word today, and I want to share a message about freedom. I want to talk about freedom for just a few minutes today. It's appropriate on a day like today as we celebrate the United States of America. We celebrate the founding of this nation. Uh, I remember the first time I celebrated uh, 4th of July. In fact, uh, I, for those of you who don't know, I wasn't born here in the U.S. I was born in another country. And uh, when I was a little kid, I was about seven, seven years old, uh, had my first opportunity to be here in the United States. Our family did a trip to the U.S., and we actually landed in Washington, D.C. on the 4th of July. And so it was, it was absolute sensory overload. There was festivities even at the airport. There were all kinds of celebrations going on. And, of course, Washington, D.C. celebrates the 4th of July big time. And so we checked into our hotel and at the National Mall, a big old strip of grass. There was all kinds of festivities, people out barbecuing. That night they had a big old stage set up and there was bands playing. The Beach Boys played. There was hot dogs and fireworks. And I was just absolutely, absolutely overwhelmed by that incredible experience. Uh, just really like the most amazing, the most awesome thing I had seen in my life up to that point. And I just remember as a kid just thinking, wow, there's something so amazing, so special about uh, this nation. You know, if you had to think about uh, the global appeal of the United States, if you had to talk to people around the world, you know, if you'd ask what was one, one, what would be one word that describes what makes the United States the United States, I think that word would be the word freedom. The word freedom. Uh, you know, we celebrate so many of the aspects of freedom and the freedoms that we have as a nation. And that's really even about what today is all about is, is the, the freedom we have as Americans, the, the fact that this nation was founded with the idea that there would be a freedom from tyranny, a freedom uh, to worship. But we also remember and we recognize today that freedom doesn't mean that a nation is perfect, that we are not perfectly free, and that there are elements and aspects of our nation that are deeply broken, deeply divided, uh, that not everyone experiences or expresses or receives that, that freedom equally. And, and that really comes back to the fact that governments and nations are man-made systems, so they cannot be perfect. They cannot be perfect. As, as wonderful as so many aspects of our nation are, we also remember that it is a broken system, that it is an imperfect system. Uh, you know, there's, there's things like corruption, and um, of course our sin nature just affects the way that, that we do things in the world. And that's not just in the United States. That's every nation, that's every system of government that has ever existed, that will ever exist. And that when 
uh, when people interact with each other and they, they build systems and structures uh, out of their own strength, there will always be a lack. But I want to tell you today, there is a kingdom that is perfect. There is a system that is perfect, and it's found in the kingdom of God. And so we remember and we recognize today that God is God overall. He is the Lord of, over all of the earth, not just one nation. He is, he is the creator of all people, not just one people, that all people around the world are, are loved by him, that he knows their names, that he cares about them. And in fact, that's, it's for that reason that Jesus came into the world, that he would go to the cross, that he would uh, suffer the death he did, that he would rise again to bring salvation. As Paul would say first to the Jews, that there was a, 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 a people that God called his own. But even beyond that, that Jesus came to bring salvation, not just to the Jews, but to all peoples, to all nations, and that he is still moving, that his power is still at work in the world, that people are still being set free from their sin, no matter what nation they sit in, uh, live in, rather, no matter what nation they, they, they find their residence to be, uh, they, they are being set free in God is on the move. There's a couple of passages that are a reminder about the the frailty of the the world that we live in. First Peter 1, 24 through 25, Peter writes this. He says, For all people are like grass, and their all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. All people are like grass. That that people have been born and lived and have died for for centuries, for millennia, uh, that, that, that we don't live forever, that Jesus is the only one, that we live eternally with him in heaven, but here on this earth, that these, this life is restricted and that our lives are like grass. And the, and the systems and the structures and the governments and the nations, if you look at world maps over the last thousand years and you realize it all changes. Everything is in flux. Everything is in motion. But it's the word of the Lord that stands forever. His kingdom, his truth, his authority is forever. In the book of Job, as Job was sitting in the midst of his misery and his pain and his suffering, one of his replies, one of his responses to his friends is found in Job 12, verse 23. And he makes a statement. He says, he, speaking of God, he makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and he disperses them. There is this foundational principle that God is in control, that God is in control. And it doesn't matter what nation it is, whether it's the United States of America, whether it is France or Nigeria or Australia, it doesn't, it doesn't matter that God is in control. He is the one who raises up and he is the one who disperses. He is the one who, who is ultimately calling the shots. So in his kingdom, this, this kingdom that expands beyond the borders that are made by men, this kingdom that is established forever, eternally, that will never fade. This kingdom is the one where we turn our hearts to and say, Lord, we're thankful for the nation that we live in. But more than that, God, we're thankful for the kingdom that you have established. In essence, we are dual citizens, that we live in this world, we live in this nation, 
But when we give our lives to Jesus, we become citizens of heaven and we become citizens of the kingdom of God. You see, the greatest freedom, the absolute greatest freedom is not found in a country or an ideology or a political system. The greatest freedom is found in Jesus Christ alone. The greatest freedom is found in his kingdom, in his purposes, in the work that he is doing in the world. And as I said before, God is on the move. He is on the move here in the United States. He is on the move around the world. I've had the opportunity recently to hear reports of what God is doing in nations like Indonesia, in in nations like Brazil, in Nigeria, uh, in all, all nations, all of these nations around the world where people are coming to know him. Lives are being transformed. Even nations that are closed to the gospel, even nations where there is not a freedom to worship, a freedom of religion, that God's power and his glory cannot be held back, that the power of Jesus, the resurrection power of Jesus will make its way because God is not a respecter of borders and nations and governments and people, that he will do do what he needs to do. And we get to partner with him in that freedom. So as we talk about this freedom that we have in his kingdom, this greatest freedom that is available to us, I want to talk about three specific places where that freedom comes into play. Now, this is just a short list. This is not comprehensive, but I think these are three things that are important for us to remember as we remember the birth of our nation, as we celebrate the 4th of July and this Independence Day, to remember as citizens of God's kingdom, what are three things, three freedoms we have within his kingdom? So I'm going to kick it off with the first one. It's this, that we are free to live. We are free to live. We have new life in Christ, that we are free to live our lives in Christ. And again, it doesn't matter what the government says. It doesn't matter what what the systems or the, the ideologies of the day, or it doesn't matter what nation we're born into. When we're born into new life in Christ, we are free to live for Jesus. We're free to, 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 to find ourselves in him, to surrender to him, and for him to be the Lord of our lives, that we are free to live for him. I think over this last year, there've been so much discussion about as, as stay at home orders were issued and uh, you, churches were restricted in, in, in being able to meet and so many people that I've talked to and the conversations that have taken place about the freedom that we have in our nation and, and even globally, some, some of those things even happening right now in Australia and some in, in, in Europe. And you know, whether or not we, our freedoms have been restricted. But I want to tell you, no matter what's happening in the world around us, no matter what the government says, that we are free to live in Christ. You are free to live your life in Christ. I'll tell you right now, in China, which is a closed nation that is not open to the gospel, that there are people living their lives in Christ. They are free to live in Christ and they are Christ and they are embracing him and living their lives for him. Here's what Jesus said in John 8, 34 through 36. He says, Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. 
If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus here talks about the new life that we have, and he compares it to someone who is a slave in a household versus a son in a household. In that culture, in that context, it was common to have indentured servants, slaves that lived in those homes. And he draws this parallels, and he says that that's when we're in sin, when we live in sin before Jesus, that we were slaves to that sin. It was the master over our lives, and we did not have freedom to do what we wanted or needed to do, that, that sin had a hold on our lives. And he says this, he says, a slave has no permanent place in the family. As ones who had were enslaved to sin, born into this sinful nature, we had no permanent place within the kingdom of God, within his family. But then Jesus says the son, a son belongs to the family forever, that the son has a place. And so Jesus says, if the son sets you free, if the son who has the authority, who lives as a part of that kingdom, sets you free, you are a part of that family forever and that you are free indeed, that you are completely free because of what Jesus has done for you. Can I get an amen? Just say amen right where you're at. Who the son sets free is free indeed. You see, we're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer slaves to, to the brokenness that we're born into in this world. Again, doesn't matter what country, doesn't matter what, what our passport says, that every person is born into sin. But because of Jesus and because of the work, his work at the cross, because he took his sin upon us, he took the penalty of our sin upon himself that he has brought freedom to our lives and we, we call on his name and we are saved, that we are set free from that sin. And when we are free, we are free indeed. We are free forever. We are now sons and daughters. We are, we are now part of God's family and sin is no longer our master. We are free to live a new life. Later on in John 10, 10, Jesus says this. He says that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. This is our core passage here at Thrive Church. That's, that's where we derive that name Thrive from, that God has designed you to thrive. He desires for you to thrive, and that that the goal of the enemy is to rob you of that life, to steal and kill and, and to destroy. But Jesus has come that you would have everlasting life, that you would have life abundantly in this life and in, eternally in heaven with him. That God brings freedom. We have the freedom to live for him. We have the freedom to grow in him. We have the freedom to love him and to walk with him, to become mature followers of Jesus Christ, to, to grow up in the, in the household, in the kingdom of God, and to thrive, to have the fullest life possible in him. We are free to live in Christ Paul echoes the same idea in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. He says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That when we give our lives to Jesus, when we surrender our lives to him, and we become citizens of heaven, that his Spirit comes and dwells in us. And because of that, 
where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, that his spirit brings freedom into our lives. Now we get to choose whether we live in that freedom or not. We are free to live, but we don't have to, to stay there. We can choose to walk into the brokenness, into the, to the trappings of sin. But Jesus gives us what we need. He gives us the opportunity and the means to live for him. And I want to encourage you, embrace fully the freedom you have to live for Christ, that the Spirit of God will empower you, that he un will undergird you to live for him, to be transformed by him. To, to receive from him the fullest and the greatest freedom and joy that you can experience in this life. So we are free to live. We're also, secondly, we are free to worship. You are free to worship. I am free to worship. Jesus had an encounter with the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter four. And as they were talking, the issue of worship came up. And, and this is what, uh, what Jesus says, starting in verse 21 of John four. He says, woman, uh, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. There's an important part of this conversation that takes place as Jesus is dialoguing with this lady. She's saying, well, you Jews, you worship in Jerusalem and us Samaritans, we worship up on this mountain. And their worship was very much tied to a place, to a location. If you go to, to Israel today, you can go to so many of those, those holy sites where worship took place that the, the people would travel, they would go to festivals and that they would, they, they would go at certain times of the year to worship and they would go up to high places like Jerusalem to worship God. But Jesus says there's this new day coming, in fact, has already come as he speaks about himself where he says, it doesn't matter whether you're a Samaritan or a Jew and it doesn't matter whether you worship on a mountain or in Jerusalem. Let me put it into a current context. It doesn't matter if you worship in a building or in a park or in your living room. It doesn't matter. The location doesn't matter. What matters is that we worship God in spirit and in truth. Jesus says that. He says true worshipers, a time is coming and, and has now come, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And then he says those are the kinds of worshipers that the Father is looking for. That people, who, worshipers, followers of Jesus, who have the freedom, we have the freedom to worship him in spirit and in truth. That is what God is looking for. So what does that mean? What does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth? Why are those distinctions made? Well, it's the spirit of God that brings freedom. And we just read about that in John. It's the spirit of God that brings freedom. And so when we, when we worship with the Spirit of God, when we worship in spirit, there is a freedom, there is a release that takes place, there is an empowerment that takes place in our lives that allows us, that frees us to worship God fully, but then to worship in truth, that our worship would be genuine, that our worship would come from a heart place 
See, worship for Jesus was not tied to a location. Worship was a matter of the heart. It was an inclination, a posturing of the heart. And he's saying that worship needs to come from a, a truthful place, an honest place in our lives, that, that, our, that our lives would be surrendered, as Paul says in Romans 12, that our lives would be this act of worship, that we would surrender our lives to him fully, not because of what I get out of it, but that we would adore him for who he is, because he is God, that there is a humility that comes in true worship. So we're empowered by the Spirit, but we walk with a humility in truth as we worship God, recognizing that he is God. See, when I worship God, I magnify him. When I adore him, my, my view of who he is increases, and my, my estimation of who I am decreases. See, we can get that backwards when we don't walk in a place of worship or we worship the wrong things. We can start thinking that we're better, that we're more, that we have it figured out, that we have the answers, that we can walk in a place of pride. But when we worship in spirit and in truth, we are reminded about who God is and how small we are. Yet there is an invitation from him to us to engage with him, to live with him, to be empowered by him. So as we humble ourselves, as the word says, that he will lift us up. And so we focus our worship. We are free to worship God, whether that is, again, in a park, in a bedroom, in a living room, in a backyard, in a sanctuary. It doesn't matter. We are free to worship God, not just with song, but with our whole being, with every part of who we are. So we're free to live. We're free to worship. And then I want to close this with, close with this one as we get ready to receive communion. We're free to pray. We are free to pray. And more than that, we're encouraged to pray. We're invited to pray. We're mandated to pray. That, that prayer should be one of the marks of our lives as followers of Jesus. In fact, prayer is one of the most important things that we can and should do as the church that we would pray prayers of intercession, that we would stand in the gap for things that are happening both in our nation and around the world, that we would intercede for people. I've been watching the news this last week as uh, the reports have been coming in from Florida, from Miami, and the collapse of that building and the lives that have been impacted. And as the death toll mounts and hearing the stories of the responders, that we would pray for those kinds of situations. In fact, let's just do that right now. Let's just pause. Would you pause right where you're at? And let's just pray. Would you agree with me? Father, we pray for all of those impacted by this, this, uh, this tragedy in Miami. Lord, we pray for the families who've lost loved ones. We, we pray for the families that are still waiting, Lord, to, to hear uh, about the recovery, Lord, of, of lost ones who, who maybe have, uh, have died in, in the building collapse. Lord, for those who've lost their homes, Lord God. Uh, Lord, for that whole community that is grieving, Lord God, we pray your peace upon them. We pray that you would surround them and cover them, that you would uphold them. Lord, we pray for the responders, Lord, for all of the search and rescue teams and the firefighters and the, the, the nurses and doctors, Lord, and, and uh, uh, Lord, the police, Lord, all of those that are on the scene, God, I pray that you would guard their hearts, Lord, that you would strengthen them from the inside out, God that your Holy Spirit would watch over them. Lord, we lift them before you today. In Jesus' name, amen.
That we can, church, we can do that. We can pray that when we watch the news, when we hear about what's happening in the world, that our first inclination would be to go to prayer. God, how can I pray? How can I, how can I bring this before you? The prayers of a righteous man and woman availeth much. That our prayer is powerful and effective. That God has given us a freedom to pray. He invites us to pray, to partner with him in tearing down the strongholds, to tearing down the walls and the broken places that are established. I said before that, that no matter what nation you live in, the systems of man are broken systems. But we have a power to pray, to invite God to move in the midst of the brokenness to bring healing. That we would pray prayers of repentance that we would repent on behalf of the, the brokenness and the, and the sin and the wrongs that have been done in our nation, that we would pray for our nation, that we would pray for our government and for our leaders, that we would pray for, for the people that we agree with and we would pray for the people we don't agree with, that God doesn't draw a distinction. He says that as believers, as citizens of heaven, it is our duty, it is, it is our mandate, it is our requirement that we would pray, that we would be a people of prayer, that we would pray for salvation, that, that salvation would come to those who do not know Jesus. Church, we are, we are compelled to pray for salvation. We're compelled by scripture, by God himself to say, pray that people would come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And we would pray for healing in our nation. I'm reminded of 2 Chronicles 7, 13 through 14. God is speaking here to the Israelites, and he's talking about a, a, a season of brokenness in their nation where they have not followed the things that God had called them to. Israel had this, this relationship with God where he had, in Deuteronomy and after their, the, their deliverance from Egypt, he had told them, if you want to be a blessed people, walk in these ways. Here are the things that you're supposed to do. And, and if you do them, you will be blessed. Then Israel would, for a season, would follow the ways of the Lord, and then they would get distracted, and they would buy into the systems and the and the the, the structures of worship that existed around them, and and they would neglect it. They would turn their backs on the Lord, and their brokenness would come as a result into their nation. But here in Second Chronicles chapter seven, God is telling them, in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the drought, here's what you need to do. Here's how you would respond to a period of brokenness in your nation. He says, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land and send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. I will hear their land. You hear, hear what he says here? Humble yourselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from your wicked ways. That these are all postures of prayer. Lord, I humble myself before you in worship and in prayer that we would humble ourselves before him and say, God, we don't have the answers. We probably make more of a mess than we help. God, humble, I humble myself before you because I know that you are Lord. I know that you are Lord. And pray that we would call out to him, that we would seek his face, that we would look to what God is saying. What does his word say? What is God declaring over you? What is he speaking to your, your household, to our nation, and to the world? 
that we would turn from our wicked ways, that individually, that we would say, Lord, help me to walk in your ways. Each one taking responsibility, saying, I will do the things that God has called me to do. Recently, I spoke about Joshua who said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That kind of heart that says, God, I want to do your will. I want to do your will. God says, if you will pray this way, he says, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive your sin and I will heal your land. Now, this is a passage that applies to the nation of Israel, but what we know is true is that God's character, his nation, his nature is consistent from the Old Testament to the New Testament to today, that we can take this passage and we can say, Lord, today we would come before you, that we would humble ourselves before you, that we would pray, and we would pray prayers of repentance, and we would pray prayers of intercession and salvation, that we would repent before you, that we would seek your face and turn from our wicked ways. And God, that we would ask you to heal our land. So we do that right now, Father God. We ask that you would come and that you would bring healing. As Lord, we turn our attention to you. We thank you, God, that you are sovereign, that you are in control. We humble ourselves before you. We ask for your forgiveness, Lord, where we have taken control of our own lives, where we have thought we've known best or what is better God, we surrender to you, and we ask, Lord, that you would bring healing. We we turn our faces to you. Forgive us for our sin, Lord. We repent of our wrongdoing. God, we ask that you would bring healing to our nation, to our land, in those places that are broken. We thank you, Lord, for the blessing, for the privilege of being in this nation, to live where we do. But Lord, we recognize that you are sovereign over all of the earth. God, that you've ordained for each one to live, be born and live where they do. And that comes with a responsibility, Lord, for us to follow and walk in your ways. Help us to do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to close with communion today. You know, one of the things we recognize as a nation is that the freedoms we celebrate came at a price, that lives were laid down, that lives were sacrificed in order for those freedoms to be secured. And it's no different when it comes to our freedom in Christ. Our freedom in the kingdom of God came at great cost. When Jesus went to the cross and he died for us. So when we think about freedom, we cannot have freedom without the bread and the cup. There is no freedom without, from sin without Jesus taking the penalty of our sin upon himself. And so it's through his body, represented by this bread, that his body was broken and beaten for us. That he, uh, in his own body, in his own flesh, bore those stripes. That he took that beating and that punishment so that we would be made whole, that our lives would be restored. So Jesus, would you take the bread? Jesus, we thank you for your body that was broken and beaten for us, that we would be made whole, that we would have uh, reconciliation, that, Lord, our bodies would be made whole, that our relationships would be made whole. Uh, God, that our minds and our emotions would be made whole in you. We give you praise, and we thank you for the bread. We thank you for your sacrifice. Let's receive the bread together. And Lord, we thank you for your cup. 
It's through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that our sins have been forgiven, that our sins have been washed away, wiped, wiped away, that the slate is clean. Jesus, that you paid the price for our sin. And because of that, because of your work at, at Calvary, and because of your resurrection three days later, that the power of sin over our lives has been broken and that we are no longer slaves to sin, that we are free to live for you. So we thank you for the cup. We give you praise as we receive together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Would you just praise him right now? Lord, we praise you. Thank you. God, you are so good. We worship you and we honor you. We lift your name on high and we say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus, for what you have done. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, bless you today. I hope you have an amazing weekend. Have a great time with family and friends, no matter what you're doing. Parades and fireworks and barbecues and swimming or whatever that entails. Would you share the love of Jesus as you go, as you connect with people, as you're out and about today? We look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you.